The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I cruise a lot, and I always sail with travel insurance. You should, too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Here we go. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Holland America's MS Koningsdam on this week's show, which is actually the sister ship to the one we're on right now in Norway, which is the MS Rotterdam. It's getting christened next week in Rotterdam, so that'll be a really cool event that we're here for. As always, we're on the ship's Wi-Fi signal, so not sure if it's going to hold up, so we're going to jump right to Richard right now while we still have him clean on the line. Richard, can you hear me okay? I'm here. So big news week this week. Carnival Corporation could be offloading a cruise line. Yeah, it sounds like this is probably going to go through. So uh, it looks like CNBC first reported this. And, you know, the people at CNBC are pretty on the nose. When they report these things, they tend to come true. And they reported that uh, Carnival Corporation is in negotiations with the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund to sell off Seaborn. So Seaborn consists of five ships right now. Plus, they have two others that are currently under construction. One of them was actually supposed to start sailing last year, but it got delayed because of, uh, you know, COVID and all the, and, and the shutdown and everything. But that ship is done and supposed to start sailing in, I believe, July. And there's another ship coming behind it the year after. It's assumed that these ships would par- probably be part of any deal that is made. Already the Saudis own a 5.1% stake of the company. But this isn't particularly surprising because if you've been keeping an eye on the Carnival stocks, they are bottoming out. I mean, I think as of yesterday, they were at about $11.36 or something. Um, so it, the, the company definitely is needing to make more money. I mean, on the plus side, they've got all of the Carnival Cruise Line fleet back in sailing. And so that's great. But there's still a whole lot of debt that was racked up during the shutdown and there's interest pay- interest payments and all that kind of stuff coming due. So selling off Seaborn might make sense for them. And a lot to unpack with its next story because Genting Hong Kong has reported earlier this year, they went bankrupt. They uh, basically left their two cruise ships, the Crystal Cruises ships off the coast of Freeport. So what's next? Well, right now, it'd be a great time if you and your friends are looking to pool your money and maybe buy a cruise ship for your future vacations. Head over to Freeport and check out the ships because uh, the Crystal Serenity and the Crystal Symphony are right now having um, would-be buyers come on board and check the ships out, and they go to auction. The auction will run until June 7th, and then on June 14th, if somebody wins the auction, uh, they will be in possession of these cruise ships. You have to take the ships 
in what's called as-is position, uh, as-is, and you also have to take possession of them where they are. So it's your responsibility to get them from where they are now to wherever you want them to be. There's no guarantee that the auction will actually go through. Right now, they're accepting bids, and when you put in a bid, you have to also put down 10% deposit on your bid, basically to sort of show them that there is an actual intention to buy behind your bid. But if they don't think they're getting enough money for it, then they can always petition the bank to say, no, you know what, we're not going to sell, and they can pursue other options. But these are the two ships that we've been following you know, pretty much ever since they went to the Bahamas instead of going back to Florida to disembark passengers, because if they went to Florida, they were going to be seized. So now, as part of the bankruptcy process, they're being sold. There's also going to be another auction. Um, you know, if you happen to be in the market for some crystal cruises, um, souvenirs kind of things, they're going to be auctioning off the contents of the Florida offices of crystal cruises. That auction is also coming up. So, you know, if you can't quite afford a cruise ship, maybe you can afford like a trinket from the office. <laughs> there, there you go. And NCL, they're in the news with a couple of different stories this week. Yeah. So first is the NCL Sun. So not particularly surprising. They're going to be ditching their Asian sailings and instead they're going to reposition the Norwegian Sun to sail out of Europe doing Canary Islands itineraries. They haven't really, you know, sort of hashed out all the details as far as what those itineraries will be, but they released a statement saying, given the challenging and inconsistent local travel restrictions related to the public health environment in Asia, we have made the decision to reposition the Norwegian Sun. So all of those people who were booked on sailings from October 11th to April 25th of 2023, that's October 11th of 2022 through April 25th of 2023, those have all been canceled. The guests who were booked will get a 100% refund as well as a 10% future cruise credit. And, you know, they are also suggesting that if people still want to do, you know, this ship and this itinerary, that they look at maybe doing it a year from now and when those itineraries will be coming out Fairly soon, it sounds like. The other Norwegian story involves Pride of America. So Pride of America is, like a lot of other places, both on land and at sea, having major issues with getting the staff on board. You know, we were talking last week about the fact that Carnival has shut down uh, some of the venues on board, including Cachina del Capitano and the chef's table, uh, in order to... uh, deal with the fact that they're having difficulty getting visas processed so that their crew can come on board. Well, Pride of America is also having staffing issues. So as a result, they're basically cutting off sales for any sailings from now until October. In other words, those sailings are not canceled, but if you are not already booked, you cannot book on those. They're going to be sailing at a reduced capacity. Usually the ships sail at around 2,100 passengers, but it will now be sailing at closer to 1,000, maybe 1,200 max. And that's because while the ship normally has about 940 staff members or crew members on board, right now they only have about 550. So they had to figure out a way to continue to give guests the experience that they want without, you know, without the staff to provide it. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to sort of make some changes to some of the things going on on board, but also to reduce capacity so that, you know, you you maintain.
maintain that ideal staff-to-guest ratio. Right. And a full return to service for yet another cruise line. Well, Rhapsody of the Seas uh, just started welcoming guests back, and that officially means that Royal Caribbean's entire fleet is back in sailing. They have 26 ships, and they're all back right now. Uh, Rhapsody is in the Mediterranean doing uh, sailings out of... I never can pronounce this, Civitita Vici, which is basically what we call Rome. You know, that's what we say when we can't pronounce the mm-hmm. port. Uh, they'll be sailing out of there, but this officially means that they have their entire fleet back. Carnival was the first to have their entire fleet back, as they have made sure that people know. But now Royal Caribbean is also fully back and sailing. And another big milestone for Carnival Cruise Line as far as a return to service. Yeah, they just welcomed their two millionth guest back on board. Um, congratulations to the Gibbs family. That would be Daniel and Christy Gibbs and their son, Mason, and even his grandma, Teresa. They are from Ocala, Florida, and they uh, were the two millionth guests on board. They got, you know, greeted by the crew, of course, with special signs and stuff, and they were all given um gifts, uh, including a miniature model of the ship. This actually was on the Carnival Freedom. Uh, Carnival also made note of some other stats that's always kind of fun. I love like these kind of numbers. They said that 1.3 million people have gone on shore excursions. And again, these numbers are since the return, not total. The number would be way higher if we were looking at the 50-year history of the company. These are the numbers uh, since the restart. So 1.3 million people have done shore excursions. 2 million Carnival brand items have been sold in the gift shops fleet-wide, including 150,000 items celebrating the line's 50th birthday, which is pretty impressive given the fact that that stuff only you know came out a couple of months ago. So that's uh, some more money in their pockets. Us Floridians pronounce it Ocala, Richard, not Okla. Yeah, well, you're a Californian. Uh, a Californian. You're a Floridian. <laughs> I'm in Woodstock, New York, and here we call it Ocala. <laughs> Listener question this week comes from Gene. You can email your questions, Doug, at cruiseradio.net. Can I use a birth certificate to board a cruise ship? Okay, so when people ask this question, they generally mean um, that they don't have a passport and they want to use, you know, their their birth certificate as ID in conjunction with other forms of ID. And you can, but there's a big catch. It has to be your original state-issued birth certificate. And if it's not your original, you can have the state reissue it, but it has to be issued by the state. A lot of people have, in fact, I have, what are, they look like birth certificates, but they're actually decorative. They're not actually state-issued. They're just like somebody printed up your birth certificate for you, or your mom had somebody print up your birth certificate, and you've been keeping it in a vault all this time, thinking it's a genuine birth certificate, and it's really not. Uh, So you have to have your original birth certificate and use it in conjunction with other forms of approved ID, usually like a driver's license or something like that. Uh, And also, some people ask if they can use, like, a baptismal certificate, and you can 
and not. In fact, didn't didn't you have somebody who tried to use a baptismal certificate and they were told no? Yeah, we were on Derek's bachelor cruise back in 2008, and he busts out his baptismal certificate to try to get on the ship. And they're like, you can't go. And at this point, I'm like, guys, we're already down here. I'm going if the bachelor goes or not, because we're parked. Our baggage is loaded on the ship. So I'll see you all in three days. But it, it, all, it all worked out. Derek's from a small town of upstate New York, uh, Oneonta, I believe it's called. So they were able to uh, fax the terminal the real birth certificate from the Office of Vital Statistics, and we were good to go. But yeah, we almost uh, I almost sailed without him. I don't know if the other guys would have, but I would have. I 100% would have. If I'm 10 feet away from a cruise ship, there's nothing <laughs> exactly. stopping me from getting on board with or without you. <laughs> it's also worth mentioning, Richard, that the passport thing is for uh, closed-loop cruises, so it has to begin and end at the same port. And uh, obviously, you need it for just U.S. departures only in San Juan, Puerto Rico, because if you're going like to Rome, or wherever you will need a, or even Vancouver, uh, you will need a, a passport. It's also good to mention that, you know, a passport is just a generally good thing to have yeah. when you travel. Um, you know, you never know where you're going to end up or, you know, what if you're, what if, for example, you're on what you thought was going to be a closed loop cruise and it ends up going to Nassau and dumping you off in the Bahamas so that they don't get arrested. You know, you never know where you're going to end up. Yeah, exactly. I've been talking with staff writer Richard since Richard, how's my how's my signal, man? I'm we're so far away. We've never done this before. Um, this whole connectivity thing from across the ditch. Is it holding up OK? I have to say it's way, way better than I expected. I figured between you being in Norway and me being in the middle of nowhere, upstate New York, we were going to have a difficult time, but it seems to be going okay. Very cool, man. We'll talk to you next week. Staff writer Richard Sims. Thanks, my friend. As always, a pleasure. Have a tip or a lead on a news story? Let us know. Email tips at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. So Chris and his family just returned from a seven-night cruise out of San Diego. It was on Holland America's Koningsdam. It was a California coastal cruise with a stop in Ensenada. And Chris joins us on the line. How you doing, my friend? Good, Doug. Great to talk to you. It's been a while. Yeah, since 2020, which is crazy. I was like, has it been that long? But I guess uh, I guess it has. You, you can't blink in these days, right? Exactly. Yeah. So let's get some pre-cruise thoughts because you are lucky enough to, by the way, the weather in San Diego is beautiful. You live in San Diego year round. So you basically, you're like me here in Jacksonville. You just kind of drive to the ship and sail. So uh, let's get some pre-cruise thoughts before you did that. What made you want to sail this seven night cruise on Koningsdam? Well, it wasn't initially on our radar, actually. I mean, we had wanted to do another California Coastal because we did one on Celebrity five or seven years ago and really enjoyed it. 
but we were looking at another ship out of LA, kind of a long weekend um, cruise. And then looking at the prices, I'm like, I wonder if there's one that falls over spring break. So um, we could do a longer cruise. And lo and behold, we found the Koningsdam um, sub $500 for a week. And we had been on the ship before for a two-week sailing in Europe, and we loved the ship. So we're like, hey, this is the cruise for us. And uh, we booked it and also invited our nieces to come along. So we ended up booking two cabins and had a great time. Very cool. So you live in San Diego. So what is your like method of doing the whole cruising out of San Diego? Like, are you like for me out of Jacksonville, I'll drive to the port and just pay the $18 a day to park there. Do you actually park at the pier or do you like just get transportation to drop you off and you embark? We were planning for parking at the pier for the first time. The previous two times we just had family members uh, give us rides. We sailed once in 2001 and another maybe 12 years ago. So we haven't cruised out of San Diego a lot. And we had actually booked parking right across the street. It runs about $14 a day, so it's actually a little cheaper than most of the cruise ports. But three weeks before our sailing, um, my family and I were involved in an a accident where a drunk driver hit us. So I'm not able to drive at the moment. So we canceled the parking reservation and ended up having a family member drive us to the port like we've done in the past. Ah, gotcha. Ouch. So you make yeah. your way to the pier. How was embarkation? It was uh, shockingly easy. I mean, it was literally, we pulled in. There were probably five or six porters there to grab our luggage, and off we went. It was, um, I, I at a loss for words at how easy it was. It, it still shocks me to this day. From curb to ship, what would you say? I think ideally you could do it in five minutes. We ran into a couple of obstacles because my son's passport didn't arrive in time. So we had to use his birth certificate. Mm -hmm. And so we had to go to the regular desk for processing. And then for some reason, my niece's photo that we uploaded did not take. And they had a photo of her from like seven years ago. But what they're doing now is they're using uh, Verify. So you upload everything ahead of time, your test results, your proof of vaccination. And they're using these tablets that have facial rec. So you basically just stand in front of it, swipe your passport, they take your boarding photo, and you're done. So, I mean, you could theoretically, I would say, the security checkpoint, you know, where you go through the x-ray and metal detector takes longer than processing to board the ship. So what was it like coming back on Koningsdam? Uh, it was comfortable. It was familiar. Cabins were available when we boarded. I think we boarded just before noon, maybe 1130. So we boarded on deck two. We had upgraded to a room on deck one, a family ocean view. So we went there, dropped off our carry-ons, and then uh, just kind of hung out for a few minutes, got familiar with the cabin, and then headed upstairs for lunch. So you make your way to your stateroom. You said you dropped your bags off there, and it was an ocean view stateroom. How was it during the weekend? Was it just your family in this one, or was it your family and your nieces all in one cabin? So we put the kids. So my nieces are uh, 19, 16, and then my son's 15. We put them in the connecting cabin, and we had actually we upgraded to a family ocean view. So it's like, um, I think Carnival has cabins like this. It's very similar to the Disney ships where you have a shower and sink in one bathroom and then you have a full bath in the second bathroom. Mm -hmm. And so that worked out well with 
the kids and whatnot. So we had a, the rooms actually sleep five people and we only had three in one and two in the other. So there was definitely a lot of space to get around, which was nice. So let's talk about dining on this ship. Of course, you have quite a few dining options. You have uh, Holland America's Lido Marketplace up there, which is their buffet. So let's start there. Like, are things back to normal or are they still serving you? There's, well, they've actually been serving passengers probably since we were on board as long ago as maybe 2017. So they used to do where they would serve you the first three days and then they would open it up to self-serve. But right around 2016, 17, they went to full service where the crew serves you. So they haven't had self-serve buffets in uh, several years. And I actually like that. And maybe that's why they the food quality seemed mm-hmm. better because they didn't have to contend with the waste and yeah. they could put more money into the food. I will say the food, wherever you went, was phenomenal. It's probably the best food I've had on a cruise since I began sailing in 94. Nice. Let's talk about that beautiful main dining room they have on board. Uh, what time dining did you have and how was your experience in there? So we signed up for anytime dining or free sale or whatever they call it. Um, and then when we got on board, we actually saw our cruise card said we had a fixed seating. So um, they claimed they did that for our convenience, but it was easy to get switched over. So we ate in specialty about half the nights, and we ate in the dining room about half the nights. And I will say, unless you want to try variety and something a little different, there was absolutely no reason to dine in the specialty dining, the food in the main dining room. Um, outside of lunch, which I didn't care for as much, was phenomenal. I had one of the best filet mignons in the main dining room. I had a braised short rib that was phenomenal. It was just, there was one night where I walked out and I'm like, that is the best meal I've ever had on a cruise ship. And this was the main dining room included, no extra charge restaurant. Very nice. And what kind of specialty restaurants did you dine at on this sailing? So we started our first night, which kind of has become a tradition in a way. I guess we haven't sailed enough on this ship, but um, we really enjoyed um, Tamarind the last time we were on board, and we really thought it would be a unique experience for our nieces. So we booked Tamarind for the first night, and it has a nice aft view of the ship, so we were able to get there right as we were sailing out of the San Diego Harbor. And so we got to see a couple of um, celebrity ships that were still waiting to come into service as we sailed. And the food is kind of pan-Asian, mm-hmm. Asian fusion. And it just was so phenomenal. The kids actually opted to go there a second night instead of trying the steakhouse. So it was kind of interesting. This is the first time on any ship we've sailed where we actually had not dined for dinner at a steakhouse. Did you, by chance, do the pan-seared lobster in there? No, we did not. No. Gosh, it was so good. And they have a good Thai dish, too. It was like the, uh, the red curry chicken. Also yeah, we amazing. we did do it, the Thai. And we yeah. also did the, I think it was like a Thai coconut soup. And we have a gluten issue in our family. So the nice thing about Tamarind is they'll cook everything to order. And they actually did, um, and I posted this on uh, Twitter, and it got a lot of hits, Um They'll do tempura mm-hmm. gluten-free using cornstarch. So it's a great way to kind of get your 
tempura fix that you usually can't get at normal restaurants. Chris, how does it work when you have a, like you ha- you said you had a gluten allergy in your family. Yeah. Are you doing this, um, like, are you discussing this pre-cruise with the cruise line or is it like a, uh, you board the ship and speak with a mater d'? So you're supposed to inform them in advance. I'm not sure that actually does anything, to be honest. Um, but supposedly they flag your reservation. So it varies from restaurant to restaurant. Usually in the main dining room, they can do everything on the fly. But if you really want to get something specific, you want to pre-order the night before, they'll show you the menus in advance. Um, like when we dine at Canaletto, which is their specialty Italian restaurant, we pre-ordered actually two days before because we knew specifically we wanted their Bray short rib. And so to ensure they kept a portion aside that, you know, maybe didn't have a gravy that had flour in it, that's why you pre-order. How was Pinnacle? The kids opted to go back to Tamarin because they enjoyed it so much. So we just did lunch there one day. And that was really good. We okay. enjoyed that a lot. By night, they're a steakhouse. So what are they by lunch? They're still a steakhouse. It's a $15 cover charge, although we are three-star mariners now, so we get a 25% discount. And they have a small, it's like a blue cheese rubbed or coated steak they had. Uh, apparently, the thing everyone goes for, the season cruisers, are their burger. Apparently, they have some fabulous burger Mm -hmm. my wife got a a fish sandwich my son got a fish sandwich my niece got a steak my other niece got like a wild mushroom ravioli that looked really good with a three-star mariner status is that like anything special lunch with the captain or like an embarkation day lunch or sea day lunch they used to have an embarkation day lunch i'm not sure if they had one this sailing i know they had a cocktail party we just opted to skip it, um, but they did leave coupons in the cabin for a, a mariner, like a special mariner cocktail on mm-hmm. them. And then we did Canaletto, the Italian restaurant, and the, our nieces love Italian, so that was a big hit for them. With Canaletto, no, that's that's actually like, uh, it's a space built out inside of the buffet area, right? But it's kind of on its own little secluded space. Yeah, it's like in the forward corner mm-hmm. on the starboard side. They can kind of close it off or it's kind of walled off. So by day, it's just extra seating for the buffet. By night, it's a specialty restaurant and they use um, one corner of the Lido as their kind of prep kitchen. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Now, how about on the outside decks there? They have that really good, what is it called? Dive-in burgers? Yeah, dive-in. Yeah. I really remember enjoying dive-in last time we were on board. For some reason, <laughs> did not eat there this time. Um, hmm. My wife went up and got kids. I don't know if they got a burger, but she brought them fries to the room kind of as an afternoon snack. We did do the gelato, which is right across the way. And that was, I usually don't pay extra for stuff I can get for free, but the gelato was really good and it was I want to say a large was like 250 which is like three scoops, mm-hmm. and that's before a discount, and that included toppings, so it was almost like a no-brainer. It was so cheap. And then up above on deck 10, they have the New York Deli and pizza. Okay. And, and we dine there almost every day. Yeah, that's... for a sandwich or pizza. I'm trying to think. That's the one that's right there, like it's overlooking the mid-pool, right? Correct. And you can watch like a, a movie on the big screen there and at nighttime they'll cover it up if the weather is inclement. 
Yeah, they had the pool covered, and I really enjoyed having, especially in California when it gets cold at night, it was nice having a covered pool. Unfortunately, they had some technical difficulties, so they weren't showing movies by the pool Mm -hmm. on this sailing. Any other place did we miss for food? Dutch Cafe on Deck 3. Yeah. I got a couple specialty coffees there, although I honestly think the Explorer's Cafe coffee is better. That's right. up there. That's up at the top, right? The Crow's Nest? Yeah, Deck 12, yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, did you spend any time up there on your sailing? Yeah, we did, because we actually spent a lot of time there last time we were on board because they have board games and puzzles. And so, yeah, we went up there several times, and just as a family, we... um, played different board games and whatnot, Jenga, you know, Life, um, Connect Four, put some puzzles together. It was just a nice place to hang out and spend some time. Because Jenga is a game you want to play when people are reading. <laughs> yeah, that, that what I will say when the tower collapsed, yeah. <laughs> I kind of looked around and cringed a little bit. Right. <laughs> But on this sailing, we only had 1,017 people on a ship that probably holds, I don't know, 3,200 or so, Mm -hmm. maybe a little more. So it was not hard to find a corner where you could make noise and not disturb anyone. Very good. Let's talk about the entertainment. How was that on this seven-night cruise? It was good overall. We only did two of the production shows. One was the BBC Earth, which to me, is something you can't miss. It's uh, BBC footage where they have the orchestra play the accompanying music, and that's really cool. We insisted the kids go to that. They had a dance show that was pretty interesting because it was like multimedia said they would dance and swing their arms with a paintbrush, and then the paint would show up on the walls because they have this round theater with screens all around. So that was kind of interesting. But the highlight, I would say, of this ship was the... um, guest entertainers, uh, one of the comics, he was just phenomenal. And standing room only, we made sure to get there early every time, and he just was awesome. Is the comedy done in the main theater as well? No, sadly it's done in B.B. Um, King's Blues Club, gotcha. so the seating is much more limited. But it's a comfortable venue, and we were laughing like crazy. I guess with B.B. King's Blues Club, though, if you're not really a fan of the comedian, it's that location where you can just keep walking and not really be seen. True. And then there yeah. you can also look in from deck three mm-hmm. kind of down. And so you can, you know, attend yeah. without attending in a way. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And there was one comic that we did not really enjoy. We were kind of in the back corner and we just, you know, quietly left. So how was the ship at whatever this was, 50% or under 50%? Because it carries 2650 double occupancy. So you were like at 50% or maybe a little bit less. How was the ship as far as crowds and congestion? It was good. Although, you know, we sailed it at full capacity and it still handled the crowds uh, fairly well. The advantage, obviously, was you didn't have to get, except for the comedy club, you didn't have to get to the shows early because there was plenty of seating. Mm -hmm. But with the number of dining venues they have, uh, the fact that they have the Pinnacle open for lunch on sea days, and then the dining room open, and then the Lido, and then you have the dive-in and the pizza bar, I would say it's designed to handle that crowd full or not. Okay, very good. How was the casino? Because you have to kind of transit through the casino if you're going to the front of the ship. How was that area as far as the smoking situation? 
We actually only ended up going through at the casino one time, and that's when we went to check out the shops. Otherwise, we always transited the ship on deck two, mm-hmm. uh, which is below the casino. That's where Music Walk is. So it's kind of nice, actually, where they have the casino in the sense that the majority of people never have to walk through it. Right. I did notice the smoke when we went through there, even though there weren't that many people there. I had a slight interest in playing some slots, but I didn't see anything that appealed to me, so I just kept walking. Mm-hmm. The Music Walk, I know Holland America, they've been trying to tweak this issue since 2016 when Coding's Dam came out um, with the bleeding through from one venue to another in the Music Walk area. Have they fixed that or have they staggered that enough where nothing really bleeds through from, let's just say, Lincoln Center stage to the Rolling Stone Rock Room? There's still some bleed through. I think they did try to stagger it so that you have a comedian in the Blues Club when you have music either in Billboard on Board or the Rolling Stones Rock Room. And they do have doors to help kind of buffer the sound. But as people are passing through, there's no way to prevent that sound from leaking through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you went to Catalina, Santa Barbara, San Francisco, and Ensenada on this sailing. Let's talk about the ports of call you went to. Um, And we'll just start at the top and just give us the highlight. You can move to the next one. Okay. The first stop was Catalina. They had rough seas when we got there, so the captain just said, we're going to hold out. The forecast looks like things will improve, and as lunchtime came and went, I started really doubting if we'd ever get ashore, but right around 1, 1.30, he's like, okay, conditions have improved, and so we are going ashore. And we kind of figured things had improved because the tenders dropped right outside our room's window, so you kind of knew things were good if they were dropping the tenders. And so they extended our uh, visit by about two and a half hours to make up for the late arrival. And so we just explored the town. A lot of the shops had closed because Mm -hmm. of the weather. And I think they assumed that the ship wasn't going to disembark passengers. We were going to rent a golf cart, but one of the two golf cart rental places closed for the day and the other one was sold out. So we really just walked around, window shopped, um, went to the grocery store, got the kids some chips to munch on in the room, and they each got to pick their own candy and their own bag of chips. And I don't know, we spent maybe two, three hours there and then headed back. Have Um, you spent much time on Catalina in the past? Yeah, actually, I proposed to my wife on my first cruise on Catalina. Awesome. Have you seen the buffalo? Yeah, we did that on the Celebrity Coastal. Yeah, we did the kind of off-road buffalo wild excursion Mm -hmm. yeah where they put you in a hummer Mm -hmm. so cool very nice and then you went to santa barbara next santa barbara next uh we booked an early excursion with the ship so we didn't have to deal with the tendering situation because last time we were in santa barbara it took like two hours to get ashore although i don't think that was a problem with the reduced capacity so we took a 9 a.m trolley tour and then we got dropped off in town hung out uh slowly made our way back to the ship after exploring the the library and the their government building which is very picturesque and then got back to the ship so it was kind of a low-key day how was san francisco san francisco was awesome last time we were there we arrived midday like we did on this sailing but it was kind of rainy and drizzly we had a perfectly clear day so you had that picturesque 
sailing under the Golden Gate Bridge. They actually opened the bow. We opted to go up top deck, but they opened the bow so you could see it from there. And then the next day we sailed away at, I think, 11 o'clock at night. So you got the nighttime sail away. So you got the best of both worlds. Wow. So you spent the night in San Francisco. Did if yeah. you, if, Like if you're doing that, and let's just say you wanted to stay at the San Francisco Harbor Hilton. I'm just making this up. But could you do that even though you're a cruise ship passenger? Yeah. The gangway is open 24 hours. So, okay. Yeah. We um, actually spent the day just kind of – I had mobility limits because I broke my kneecap in the accident I mentioned earlier. So – um, I was relying on like the streetcar because I could only go so far on crutches. So we took the streetcar, walked a few blocks to the cable car. We took the cable car, got off in Chinatown, got back on another cable car and rode it around. And they have an all-day pass for 13 bucks, which is worth getting because it's $8 one way for a cable car. So we ended up taking the cable car back to the ferry building. I got some ice cream. I can't not get ice cream when I'm in San Francisco because they have a well-known, I think it's called Harvey Slocum or hum, no Humphrey Slocum. They do a bourbon and cornflake ice cream. That's to <laughs> die for. And then we went back to the ship, had dinner. The kids kind of were tuckered out. They just wanted to hang in the room and watch movies since they have the included on demand. So my wife and I, after dinner, headed out, used our pass just pretty much rode the cable cars all night until they shut down at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, picked up some more snacks for the kids when we were out and just kind of made a night of it by ourselves. Is San Francisco pretty, like, did you feel pretty safe at night getting off the ship and, you know, riding the cable car and all that? For the most part, I will say when we were waiting for, uh, because the streetcars weren't running by the time we got back to like where Pair 39 was, mm-hmm. it felt a little sketchy waiting there for the bus for 10 or 15 minutes. But honestly, there only one person went by. It wasn't like there was anything. I think I was more, it was more sketchy because there was no one around than it was mm-hmm. sketchy because it was unsafe. Yeah. The second day we did a ship's tour. Uh, we went to Muir Woods and Sausalito. We were originally going to rent a car and drive there, but since I can't drive right now, that we... Um, opted for the ship's tour and they did price match surprisingly because I um, found a cheaper tour um, through a private company and they price matched which was good they honored that but I will say don't take this tour if you want to go to Sausalito because they only give you 45 minutes in Sausalito which is about enough time to get an ice cream cone and use the bathroom but it was worth it for Muir Woods And if you really wanted to, you could take the ferry back to the ship if you wanted to spend a little more money and spend more time in Sausalito. And then you went down to Ensenada. So it was almost like two sea days. So you had, we left San Francisco Thursday night. So Friday was a sea day and we didn't get into Ensenada until close to six o'clock on Saturday night, the night before we disembarked. So we had booked a tour through the cruise line that got canceled They claimed it was because of the late arrival, but it was a scheduled late arrival, so I'm not really sure that excuse makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we just took the $4 round-trip shuttle to downtown. My niece bought a silver ring. We looked at some of the shops and headed back on board to catch the comedian one last time. 
All right. And you make your way back to San Diego. How was disembarkation? Well, we did something different. We didn't rush to get off the ship. We mainly just decided to hang so that our relative wouldn't have to deal with as much traffic. I think we left our cabin around 8, 8.30, just hung out in the Lido, had breakfast, and I don't think we got off the ship until about 9.15, 9.30. So it was a nice leisurely last day on board and just kind of walked off. Getting off the ship, clearing customs was easy, though, you know, they asked my son a few questions since we were using his passport just to verify it was him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, where were you born? What's your birthday? That type of thing. Because he's 15, he doesn't have to have an ID. So I think they use the questions as a means to proving identity. The next week, his passport arrived. Oh, that's how it goes, right? <laughs> <laughs> what was the turn time? Like, how long ago did you send it off for the uh, processing? It was only four weeks, believe it or not. We, okay. we didn't expect to have it back in time. We had trouble getting an appointment. But they said it would be 8 to 11 weeks, and it was four weeks exactly. Here's a, uh, a random story, not related to Koningsdam at all, but it was back in 2019, and I was going to Vietnam for 14 days. You have to have your passport. It, it cannot expire within six months of your trip. And so mine was expiring within three months or something like that. I had to actually rent a car drive to the Atlanta airport. There's a passport processing center right by the Atlanta airport. Went to the passport processing center, waited there for eight and a half hours, finally walked out with it and boarded a plane for overseas the next day. So it was like, I almost didn't make it. Problem with the kids' passports and, you know, is most of the places are only open like eight to four. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want them to miss school and both parents have to be there when it's a minor. So that added some logistical concerns and then it was hard to get an appointment kids don't have a 10-year expiration do they because they they're, they change so much in a yeah, few it's years five years it's five years okay and in fact if we could have held off nine months he would have got a 10-year passport because he oh. would have been 16 well any first-time tips to offer someone sailing Koningsdam? i would definitely download the app that they have the navigator app one issue we did run into was they don't give you receipts for anything So you have to use the app to check to make sure the charges are correct. And we did get charged for um, four drinks by the same server that we didn't consume. We Well, I shouldn't say that. We had the quench package, which is the non-alcoholic drink package. And so I don't know in the mess of serving other people, but they wrongly charge us for alcoholic drinks that weren't covered by the package Mm -hmm. than the non-alcoholic drinks. So... I did go up to guest services to get that clarified on the morning of uh, disembarkation because that's the first time I noticed the charges. And unfortunately, they only um, reversed two of the four drinks, two of mine Mm -hmm. and two of my wife's. So they did one of each. So I do have an email in to corporate to get that fixed. But I would say keep an eye on your, your charges because they don't leave you an invoice under your door anymore. Gotcha. And then, um, Explore the ship. You have to use the app, really. They give you a, a half-sheet little rundown of what's going on, but the app's going to give you more details of the activities that are going on. Study the deck plans. There were a lot of people on our shore excursion on Thursday, so we're, what is that, four or five days in, who, for instance, didn't know there was a deli and a pizza place on board. Huh. The last thing I would say is the dining times are kind of finicky, And so they're not advertised well on board. 
So like the Dutch cafe is open until I want to say 10 o'clock, but they only serve food until eight o'clock. The New York deli and pizza is open from 11 to 11, but after six or seven or eight o'clock, they only serve pizza and movie time snacks. So it's kind of hard to keep track of what's being served at a couple of venues. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise? I think just spending time with family and having a relaxing cruise. Um, you know, it was also nice to be able to get out of the house um, since I haven't been able to drive. And um, the crew was beyond exceptional. They were friendly. They remembered me by name. Every time I went to the Lido because I was using a crutch, they offered to help me or let me skip the line, which I didn't need, but I appreciated. So it was just nice to get away and have a relaxing week with the family and kind of chill. I want to ask then, um, since you're kind of, uh, you know, not up to full mobility yet, did you have to get like a, use a, w- a wheelchair or an embarkation or anything? No, I use crutches. Okay. Um, so I'm lucky I can put full weight on my leg. Mm-hmm. Um, they did have me use the elevator in the tender ports to go down to the tender dock. But luckily, I can walk with crutches. Gotcha. And in closing, your final thoughts of Holland America's Koningsdam. It's a great ship. I think it's my favorite class of ships that Holland America has. Actually, I think it's my favorite ship design overall. I just really like that they include the movies in the room with your ferry. They're not extra charge. They have a variety of dining venues. You can get a late night snack at the pizza place. Um, When the movies are playing by the pool, that's even better. And I like the music venues. I'm not a huge music fan, but it's nice to go by, have a seat, have a drink, listen to some music. And um, I think Colin America gives you a lot for your fare. I think they include a lot more than some of the other lines. And then I think my last recommendation is take a California coastal cruise. It's a great way to see the state. It's easy to get to the ship, whether you're leaving from LA or even easier from San Diego, because the airport's only two miles away. And you're going to have great weather and you're going to see very different locations along the way. Well, Chris, speedy recovery, my friend. And thanks so much for sharing this review of Holland America's Koningsdam. We sure appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. My pleasure. It's been much too long. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got here, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.